Thank you so much. You are so much kinder than Adam is to me. You can already tell that. So thank you. So grateful to be here with you this evening. Uh, my name is Matt Lewis. Been working here for about five years. You stole my whole intro right there when you gave kind of the backstory. Um, but I work in the student ministry realm uh, for Menlo Church. Yeah, yeah. Student ministry is awesome. But I, I actually feel at home right here because I am a young adult. So that makes sense, right? Like, I'm a young adult. I feel at home here. Adam's not a young adult anymore. When he turned 40, he left the young adult realm. So uh, it, it feels good. feels good to be here. Um, thank, thank you for letting him lead you guys. Uh, but, but really, I, I'm grateful to be here. I, I want to let you know a little bit about me. Uh, just I always like to know a couple things about the person speaking to me. So like he said, I uh, moved out here five years ago from the southeast, was born and raised in Florida. Don't hold that against me, all right? I, I love California. I live here now, so that should tell you something. Um, but uh, Lisa and I, we've been here for, for almost five years, uh, and the most important thing that you could know about me is that I love my family. Uh, Lisa, she's amazing, amazing spouse, amazing wife. Uh, but we have this like beautiful little creature of a daughter named Lucy, who's like the light of our life in our world right now. So I want to show you a picture of both of them. That's super cute. Yes, I know. How do you decide who's cuter? I don't know. Should we vote? No, I'm just kidding. They're equal uh, cuteness. They're, they're awesome. Love my family. Love them so much. Uh, and before, before I start into the message on week three of happy hunting, I just want to take a second to... Uh, just give honor and respect to Adam and Mark and Casey and Jeremy and the leaders of this community. I mean, you guys got the real deals here. I mean, especially Adam. I'm not saying the others aren't, but I just know Adam probably the best. Uh, we've, we've known each other for a few years now, and he's such a good pastor, and he loves this community. And so I just hope you know what you have in them. Can you give it up for your staff here? Yeah. I encourage you to press into them and to live life with them and to have conversations with them. And I'm just grateful that uh, they're prayerfully leading this awesome group uh, that's so welcoming and so awesome. So thanks for letting me be here with you tonight. Before we jump in, let me just say one more prayer for us. I don't think you can pray too much, and I need prayer for sure. So let's uh, pray one more time. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just say come. Come here. Be here with us right now. We know that you are. Uh, we expect that you can do something in this room, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. God, would you, uh, would you refan uh, the flame in our heart for you tonight? God, would you inspire us to deeper love, deeper affection, uh, deeper understanding of who you are and what you've done for us? God, I pray for the person here who's here for the first time. I pray for the person here who's been here a hundred times, God. I pray for the person who's spiritually unresolved here. God, I pray that you would just break down walls, you'd break down chains, you'd break down barriers, God, and you would speak in a loud voice greater than anything I could say, greater than anything a worship song could bring, God, that you would just move in the hearts of all of us here tonight, God. We want that, we expect that, we know you're capable of that, and we know you'll do that. We pray all this in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, all right. So we get to continue this series uh, called Happy Hunting. And I'm excited to be talking to you about this. It's this series where we've been talking about what it looks, what happiness in life looks like, like the things we strive after to get happiness in our lives. And today, I want to talk from the perspective, a little different than week one and two, I want to talk from the perspective of living your life from a secure foundation internally, internally. 
Because if you don't have a secure foundation internally in your soul, in the framework that's happening in your thoughts, in your mind, in your heart, you don't have a chance of being happy or content or joyful ultimately in life. Right? you got to be secure internally. Now, we've been talking about this in some regard for the past two weeks. Now, I haven't been here in person, but I did uh, watch both messages to make sure I wasn't repeating anything y'all were saying. Uh, so uh, we've been talking a little bit about this dynamic uh, for the first two weeks of this series. And I would classify what Adam and Mark talked about over the past two weeks as uh, circumstantial happiness, like this pursuit of circumstantial happiness. Where we talk about wealth, and we talk about money, and we talk about career goals, and we talk about status. Like That's what we've been talking about the past couple weeks, circumstantial happiness. If things are going well in my life, then I'm good internally. If the job's good, I'm good. If, if the girlfriend, boyfriend's good, I'm good. If I have the money that I need to have, then I'm good. If I get into the school that I need to go to, then I'm good. External world, if that's good, then my internal world, that's good. Circumstantial happiness. My outer world becomes the foundation for my inner world. Now, I look back at my life and I, you know, I can see where I've done this for my whole life, right? My whole life. Definitely in high school. I definitely made circumstantial happiness like my goal, my priority in high school. And for me, the number one thing, and I wouldn't have said this at the time, but the number one thing was sports, success in sports, a little bit like Mark's story that he shared last week. I had a, a priority of focus on sports. Now, I was a Christian. I went to church. I went to youth group, and I would never have said that anything was more important than God, but the most important thing looking back was sports. I was kind of that's going to sound weird to you, maybe, I don't know. I was kind of in a relationship with sports, right? Like, me and sports had this thing going on, and I gave a lot. I gave a lot to this, to this relationship. I gave my time. I gave my effort. I gave my discipline. I gave my sacrifice. I gave my money. I gave my focus. I mean, I gave sports everything, first, foremost. That was my priority. It was like always the, the controlling focus of my life determining everything else. And now this wasn't just a one-way street relationship. And if you're in a one-way street relationship, you should get out of it. You should do something else. But this, that's not what I had with sports. It gave me something back, right? Like it provided something for me. It gave me a sense of identity. It gave me a sense of, of worth. It gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of, of belonging. I mean, sports were going well externally. My internal world, there, it was filled up. There was nothing wrong. It was good. And there was this pinnacle moment for me in high school when uh, this is just the perfect picture of the relationship I had with sports. This first round of the playoffs, my senior year football, I played wide receiver. I mean, I'm from a high school football town in Florida where everyone goes to the high school football games, thousands of people at the game. It was one of those things where we looked like we were going to lose, and then we were on the verge of winning. And I had this moment where I had this game-winning touchdown catch, and I have 20 seconds of it on film. So I want you to check it out real quick. <laughs> You don't think that's me, keep watching. Boom, that's me. Proof right there. See, I'm not lying, that's me. <laughs> like, listen, all right, that, that was awesome. All right, I don't care if I look like an idiot running up the sideline. I uh, Thank you. Uh, that, that was awesome. That was a moment for me. That was like such a huge moment in my life. It was this 
relationship I had with sports, that was everything to me. If my external world and my external world for sure after that catch was all good and so my internal world was good. There came interviews and there came parties and there were people talking about how great I was and everything was going well. But there's a problem with circumstantial happiness and we've been hitting on this problem the past couple weeks. By nature, by definition, circumstantial happiness it can't last. It's from circumstance to circumstance, from situation to situation. I mean, it's not secure. It's insecure. It's an insecure foundation for you to build up some stuff internally on. Because it leaves you, at best, searching for something else to be your foundation. Or, at worst, it leaves you completely lost and completely broken and completely aimless. And, and you're smart, you can probably tell where I'm going in this story. This is, this is exactly what happened to me when high school was done. I tried to go play college football, really wanted to do that. That was my identity. That didn't work out. I was back home in a month, working a part-time job, going to community college. Tons of free time. Like, not sure what my life was doing. Not sure where I was going. And, and there was a, a brokenness in me because my foundation was, was ripped out from under me. And I didn't know what to do, and, and, and I'll get into this another time, but I spent years uh, searching. I spent years going down a path of anything. You can name it, parties and drugs and money and, and trying to find worth and friends and all these different things, like just searching for one circumstance after another to support the inner world that was like falling apart. Now, here's something interesting. You might be thinking this question. When I was writing this, I was thinking this question. I was like, why did I just turn to God? Like, remember how I said I was a Christian in high school? Like, you would be thinking, why wouldn't you just turn to God in this moment? And I had this, I don't know, maybe you won't think it's a big deal, but when I was writing this, I had this moment where I kind of realized why I didn't turn to God. I didn't turn to God because I had been looking at God through the filter of my circumstance. Have you ever done that? I've been looking at God through the filter of how my external world was going. Circumstances are good. God is good. Me and God's good. Man, he's great. Circumstances are bad. And I didn't explicitly say this, but this is how my life operated. Circumstances were bad. God's bad. God can't be trusted. God's not as good as I thought. So I started attaching these negative circumstances to the character of God, to the love of God, to the relationship that I had with God. So when, when push came to shove and my circumstances went bad in the worst way they had ever gone bad, and there was other things that were going on in my life, I looked at God and judged that he didn't care anymore, that he wasn't a, a valuable uh, a way to turn, or he wasn't a beneficial way for me to look in that season. I based my internal security on external circumstances, and it wasn't working out for me. Now, I wonder if you've ever experienced that or if you can relate to those situations at all. Maybe, maybe you're battling through something right now. Maybe there are places in your life where you're attaching the way things aren't working out like you thought they would. You're attaching that to the character of God. You're attaching that uh, to who God is, who God says he is, to the love of God, to your relationship with God. Here's a question. Uh, Does your heart leap to speculation about God and about his goodness when you don't get what you want, when you don't get to the, the, the job? When, you, when the investment doesn't go well, when you don't uh, get offered this job or that job or, job or have enough money or whatever it is, right? Does your heart leap 
to speculation. I think we all have a measure of that in us. I'm not saying you should, shouldn't have any of it. I mean, we have that. But, but like assess yourself. Where is it at? Where are your external circumstances affecting uh, your internal spiritual world? So today, I just I want to help us find more security internally in, in our relationship with God, in our faith walk. Because it's available. And there's a starting place. There's a starting place for where security of your soul lies. And it can be your foundation. It can be the thing that, that remains strong, though the things around you may crumble or not look like you thought they would. That's available in increasing measure to you and to me as followers of Christ. And if you're in here and you're not a Christian, I would love for you uh, to take this message into uh, mind as you're considering what Christianity could look like for you. So glad you're here. So, so what I'm talking about, the starting place for where security lies in your soul, it's actually something uh, or an idea that the Apostle Paul said. Now, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was one of the, the earliest Christians. Uh, he wrote a ton of the New Testament. He started so many churches, and he wrote letters back to them, and he was an awesome dude. And he, he had this security of soul. He had this security of soul that no matter what was going on in his circumstances, he was always rock solid internally. One time, uh, Paul went to a town with his friend Silas, and he came across this slave girl who, the Bible says, had a spirit in her. And this spirit made it possible for her to predict the future. Uh, but this wasn't like a great thing because she had a slave owner, and that slave owner was taking advantage of that. And obviously, this girl was sick, and there was something going on. And so Paul gets there. He doesn't care about the predicting the future or whatever, and he just he heals her. He cast out the spirit. Now, the slave owner didn't like this. And, and the text tells us that like the town turned against Paul and they had him arrested and they stripped off all his clothes and they beat him within an inch of his life and then they put him in jail. You talk about a bad day, right? You go to heal someone, you're doing God's work, you heal someone, you cast a spirit out and then you get beaten up, probably worse than you've been beaten up and mocked and spit on and put in jail. Like this is a bad circumstance. But here's what blows my mind with this, with this passage, all right? Like two verses later, Acts 16, verse 25, here's what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the prisoners were listening. Now, let me tell you why this is mind-blowing to me uh, in this context, in this message. My life gets destroyed because I can't play college football. My life gets destroyed because I can't play college football. But Paul gets beaten within an inch of his life, and he gets thrown in jail. And instead of leaving the faith, instead of jumping into despair, instead of doubting his whole world, he was singing hymns and praising God at midnight. It's like, what? You know? I just, I see the distance from myself to Paul, and I want what he has, right? I want that kind of faith, that kind of internal world that's so strong that, that, that I have that power from God, from the Holy Spirit, to make it through anything that life throws at me. How was he able to do this? How was Paul able to be so strong on the inside, no matter what was going on on the outside? Don't you want to be so strong in your faith on the inside that no matter what goes on externally, you can sing in jail at midnight? I'm not saying you should go to jail, but you know what I'm saying. You get the example. <laughs> um, here, here, here it is. Here's what he did. Here's, here's what Paul did. He didn't look at God through the lens of his circumstance. He looked at his circumstance 
through the lens of God and through the lens of what he knew about God. So for Paul, when his circumstances were good, God was good. And for Paul, when, him, when his circumstances were bad, God was good. That's what I want. That's what I want. Here's the secret. Here's what Paul knew about God. Here's what you know. Here's what I know. Here's what we need to be reminded of. This was his guiding thought that gave him the internal strength to withstand all the external things that were going on around him. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 2.2. Here's what Paul decided to do. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's, that's it. That's his core. That's his security. That's his everything. That's what shaped his internal framework each and every day. That's what guided him. That's what motivated him. That's what sustained him. Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Somewhere else uh, in the Bible, I know where it is, and I'll tell you where it is when it's on the screen next. Uh, Paul says, uh, <laughs> can you put that next verse up there? Wait, the one after that, and then we'll go back to that one. Yeah, okay, Philippians 3.8. I count everything, everything, everything as a loss, a net negative, because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count everything, the good, the bad, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a net negative if I don't know Christ. If I don't know Christ better, in increasing measure. Here it is. Your internal security can't be found in a circumstance. It's found in a person. It's found in a person that had a message that changed the whole world. That's where your internal security can be found. That's the only place it was created to be found in. And Paul, he had this radical focus on it. He had this laser-sharp focus on Jesus and the gospel that Jesus brought. It's a gospel that Paul described this way. Here's what he says. He says, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, me, everyone in this room, everyone you know, everyone you stand eyeball to eyeball with, we were born spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. But God... Because of his great love for us, who's so rich in mercy, great love, rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead. Nothing we could do to earn it. God made us alive in Christ. We were dead. God made us alive. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. And you may be thinking, yeah, I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. But what I want to communicate to you tonight is that you don't hear it enough. You don't tell it to yourself enough. I don't tell it to myself enough because this is the secret. This is the key. I'm jumping to the end. I can't jump to the end yet. Okay. Christ crucified. That's what Paul said. I will know nothing else except Christ crucified. Think about Christ for a second. Okay, let me give you some biblical uh, references that talks about Jesus. Christ, the most powerful thing that's ever existed, has always existed, the one that Colossians 1.15 says, He's the maker of all things in heaven and on earth, invisible, invisible. In him, all things were made. He created everything. And it says this, this is crazy. In him, all things hold together. Christ, the most powerful being that has ever lived, Christ. Revelation says that one day, 
legions upon legions upon legions will bow at his throne and sing praises to him forever, not for 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, forevermore, and it won't, and it won't suck. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. I don't know what's going to happen then, but I know everyone's going to be praising, praising Jesus. Ephesians talks about how one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Christ, crucified, died a sinner's death, died my death, died your death, paid the penalty for mankind, took all our shame, entered into death so we could have hope, entered into death so we could have life. And he did it because he loves us and he wants to be with us to give us a chance to choose him. There's no guarantee that we would, but he did it so that we'd have a chance so we wouldn't be forever separated from God. Christ crucified. That's all I'm going to know. That's all I'm going to know. That's the only thing. If I, don't, if I don't know that and I know everything else, I don't know anything. Christ crucified. We have to just get where we'll say that's our first. That's the first thing in my life. That's the most important thing in my life. That's the thing I'm going to go after with my whole life. That's going to be my heart's desire. This is why Paul could sing at midnight in jail, Christ crucified. This is it. He had a security of soul that could never be achieved by circumstantial happiness, but he had Christ crucified. This was... Uh, so etched in my mind a couple months ago in a deeper, deeper way. Because I always think we're learning deeper ways to make the gospel change our hearts. Always, always. A couple months ago, I walked with a family from the San Mateo campus uh, for about six months as their 19-year-old daughter who had this rare muscle disease. Uh, and she had been a part of our youth group for years and years. Uh, she, her health it was declining rapidly and things took a turn for the worst. And, uh, man, I've been praying with this family. I've been visiting this family in the hospital. And then finally the day comes, and uh, hospice is called in. And this is the first time as a pastor that I've experienced walking with someone through something like this, especially someone who I've known for years and have been pastoring and loving and caring for. And uh, I go over there, hang out for a little bit. Then I go back to church. It's on a Sunday morning. And uh, then they call back and say, you know what, Isabel, she's passed away. Will you come back? And I was one of the first persons to show up at the house. And, and I spent... Uh, hours there in this home, and it was everything that you're thinking that it was. It was painful. I never cried like that. It was there was so much grief, there was so much anguish, and and it was intense. It was an intense day. I've never seen pain like that. Never seen tears like those. But here's why I'm telling you this story. Uh, I've never heard worship like that in my whole entire life because in the middle of the crying and them screaming out to God saying why would this happen why would you do this I don't understand what's going on in the middle of their prayers those are prayers you can say those prayers to God in the middle of that someone will pull out a guitar and then everyone in the room would start singing as loud as they could all the worries of this world I will place them at your feet I'll surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace prince of peace my healer, they're singing these songs the day their daughter passed away. And I was blown away, still blown away by it. What could give someone that internal strength? 
not to not feel pain. Of course they felt pain. But what could give them the internal strength to say, Prince of Peace, perfect healer, I'm going to trust you even when I don't even know what's going on. And the only thing that I can think of, and I know these, these people well, they invited me over for dinner next week. Like I know them, I walk with them. Christ crucified. That's their number one. I will know nothing but Christ crucified. That experience wrecked me. What do you do with this? What do you do with this message today? You may already know this. You may already know the gospel, right? Like we've all heard it. We all know it. But what's next? How do I go deeper? Okay, man, how do I take this and go deeper to the next step, to the next level of my faith? How do I work on my relationship problems through this? How do I overcome my vices? What are the next steps? And uh, here's the point of today's message. There is no deeper than the gospel. There's no next step past the gospel. It's the thing that your heart needs every day. Yeah, I made a decision one time when I was in middle school that I'd believe the gospel. But no, no, you need to make a decision every day that you believe the gospel because your heart needs that every day. I don't know the theologian who it is. Uh, man, someone in here probably knows it. But there's a theologian. He wrote a million books, super smart guy, spent his whole life doing all this research, writing everything. And uh, someone asked him, what's like the deepest, most important theological truth that you learned in all your studies? And he said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no deeper. There's no deeper than the gospel. So here's my question for us, for us today, because, man, I'm preaching all this at myself, all right? Uh, when's the last time the gospel moved you? When's the last time you prayed to Jesus about the gospel and it moved you? When's the last time it changed you? When's the last time you got so caught up in talking and thinking about the gospel and what Jesus did to you? And I know we have uh, so many important things in life, and I get it, and my life gets cluttered, and it's gets crazy, and I don't do a good job at this, but I've got to challenge myself with this too. Like, when's the last time you were blown away by the gospel that God died for you, that Christ was crucified for you? Our hearts need it more than we're giving it. And this is not a guilt thing. This is not a guilt thing. This is a, this is life thing. This is life. This is the truth of the Bible. It's the gospel. It's our foundation. It's our rock. It's our cornerstone. It's the thing that we need every day. You were dead, but God made you alive. I was dead, but God made me alive. Thank God he's still trying to make me alive every single day. So I just want to end with an idea, just with an idea to take, take back with you and encourage you to apply it some way in your life. Assess your heart's posture towards the gospel. Assess your current engagement level with the gospel. Assess how you normally interact with the gospel. Take the temperature and uh, then just turn the temperature up a little bit. Just turn it up one click. Just turn it up a little bit more because there's no ever getting enough of the gospel in your life. Increase the urgency. Increase the frequency. And this is not an earn it thing that you don't have to earn salvation. Uh, did you, the verse we said earlier, so it's just a gift from God. Salvation is just a gift from God. But now that we are saved, now that we are living this Christian life, now that we are trying to push forward in our faith, turn the temperature up with how much you're chasing God and God will respond to that. I don't know how, I don't know exactly how it will look in your life, but just turn it up a little bit. Do one thing new. Find one new friend to pray with. 
Maybe just find one time to pray. Maybe pray every day. I, I don't know. There's a step. Join a life group here. Come back to Sank next week. I don't know what the step is for you to take. To just, man, turn it up one click. God's faithful. He'll, he'll honor that in your life. That's exactly what your heart needs. And that's how you build a stable foundation in your soul to where you can live a life towards ultimate joy and contentment and happiness, I think. That's a secret. So here's what I want us to do. One last thing for us to do together as a community. Uh, we're going to sing a couple more songs, and uh, every song ultimately is about the gospel. And this next song that we're going to sing for sure is. It's called Cornerstone. It says, Christ alone, my cornerstone, weak made strong. You were dead, but now we're alive. Weak made strong, that's the gospel, in the Savior's love. So here's what I want us to do as a community. Let's just turn the dial up right now for us as a community here. Let's make sure we take the time to uh, engage in worship in these next two songs. The band, go ahead and come on up. You guys can go ahead and get ready. We can get ready to start singing this song. But I want you to think about this on a couple different levels. So uh, wherever you're at with the gospel, intellectually, wherever you're at with it, experientially, wherever we're at with it as a community, wherever you're at with it prayerfully as you pray through it in your life, I just uh, am praying for us that we turn the dial up in this moment as we sing this song and we engage with the gospel as a community. So my heart, my prayer for you is to give God a little bit more in this next song, whatever that looks like to you, whatever that looks like to you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing this song together. Father, make us more grateful people. Make me a more grateful person for everything you've done for us. God, move us to love. Move us to sacrifice. God, move us to grace. God, we're so thankful for how you've moved in our hearts and our souls, God, and we, we commit right now to just giving you our heart right now in this moment as we sing about the foundation you've laid, the foundation that you are our foundation, that you're the only solid thing to live a life on. Jesus, we're here for you. It's all about you. Move in this place, move in this room. We praise you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.